Hi, everyone. This is Christy, your host. And one of the big topics on today's episode is embodied learning and how physical movement enhances cognitive function. Students need to move, which is why you're going to love our sponsor, Unruly Studios. Unruly Studios is a school-wide system for teaching STEM that combines cross-curricular coding with physically active games. Students use the coding app on an iPad or Chromebook to create all sorts of collaborative games like relay races and obstacle courses that can be actively played using unruly splats, our stompable floor buttons that light up, make sound, and collect points. Unruly splats can be integrated into any content area at pretty much any grade level, and you can find them at edcuration.com. Think unruly. You're listening to the Ed Curation Podcast. We bring you stories from educational leaders about the instructional resources, practices, and movements that are reshaping learning. It's a little bit of social work, a little bit of science, and a little bit of passion. The most valuable resource is also their time. It just can't be wasted on fluff. But we have to be able to continuously poll our students and just give them voice. We have to pick texts that are totally going to push their thinking. Our guest today is Liz Wolfson, visionary and co-founder, along with Nina Safane, of GALS in Denver, Colorado, which has now grown into a worldwide movement, GALS Inc., and whose model has been studied and replicated worldwide. In fact, Liz did a TED Talk on gender-based education in 2012, and you can find the link in the episode notes. GALS stands for Girls Athletic Leadership School. And I wanted to learn about each one of those, the athletic part, the leadership, and the single gender component. Interestingly, Liz has spent the bulk of her career working for CEOs and philanthropists to manifest their visions and start up corporate and philanthropic projects, both locally and nationally. She was not an educator prior to founding GALS. So of course, I wanted to know what led her to start a school. I would add to that that I never really liked school as well Mm -hmm. on any level and really hesitated in calling myself an educator for a number of years. I was looking for something to do that really expressed my need for women to have a more deliberate journey in growing into themselves in this world. Our job is to create a system that allows for your own personal development and growth. And my experience in that personal development and growth felt really stunted. I really realized that if I grew up in the privileged way I did and couldn't find my voice to navigate who I was in this world, I went to an Ivy League school, I was a Division I athlete, then how was everybody else doing it? I needed an educational system that allowed for the freedom of that experience to be inherent in who girls were as they were growing up. I think that's the methodology that changes people as opposed to having to insist we fight for something Let's just assume something is natural and say, I will accept nothing less when I am my own individual person. Schools are where we learn relationship building. Mm -hmm. Schools are where we learn to express who we are. Schools are where we learn pecking order. Schools are where we learn what's available to us in the world. The system in which women get paid less and nobody's talking about it, in which women are represented less. And that doesn't even count women of color, right? So when I say women, it's absolutely all women. But if 
we're not having those conversations and we're not in a system that's saying, hey, the way we've educated our, our children has created an inequitable society beyond other economic factors and social factors and so forth. Then how can we say we care about our daughters having full opportunity and access in this world? Yeah. So you had this dream. Like yeah. I'm, I'm imagining there was a day yeah. and it came to you as you were running or in the shower that this is where I need to start. It came to me in a cafe. I had taken a job in education. I had kind of had a sense that I wanted to build schools or figure out something in education. I was working at a, at a place called the Omega Institute, which is mm-hmm. the largest holistic retreat center in the States. Was, Wait, is that Elizabeth Lesser? It is. Wait. What? Hold on here. The Omega Institute, co-founded by author Elizabeth Lesser, whose book, Cassandra Speaks, completely rocked my world last year and should be required reading for every female on the planet. That Omega Institute? My mind is blown. I was planning to talk to Liz about this book, and then I discover that she worked there. What serendipity. I love these women. Liz went on to talk about how when she was pregnant with her first daughter, one of the Omega board members gave her two books about girls' education. The first was How Girls Thrive, An Essential Guide for Educators by Dr. Joanne Deke. And the second book was Odd Girl Out by Rachel Simmons. So that's, that's where it came from. And then I was, took a job building schools for a network called The Big Picture. And I knew that wasn't a home for me, but I wanted to learn about building schools. And every Friday, I would go to a cafe, downtown Providence, Rhode Island, and I would say, I'm going to figure it out. Hmm. And it came to me, Girls Athletic Leadership School. And most of it was based on that my sense of power, my sense of personage in my life, my sense of individuality, my sense of ability to cope was always based on the power of my physical being by being highly, highly in shape working out my energy in my emotions. And then I came across something called bioenergetics, which was about how our emotions and our feelings get stuck Mm. in places in our bodies. And we have to, in order to fully understand what we carry from whether it's lifetimes before or we were born with whatever your feelings, you have to pay attention to where your body is. And I really understood that The ultimate sense of being a leader is one who is embodied, one who can really know themselves physically and use that as a major lever of living your life in some sort of truth. So you talk a lot about embodied leadership. Mm -hmm. And so that's what you're talking about. We know from brain science that movement boosts cognitive achievement. So if you're an older as we are, movement is going to help us retain memory and retain health and retain skin tightness and all those things that are really important for functioning for as long as possible. And one of the people that I love is a parent named Margaret Henderson, who really has written books now out of her brilliance as a trauma therapist, but also as a parent, a founding parent of gals. And, and, and she wrote a book about aging optimistically. And so mm-hmm. I really follow that now on the assumption of what we're trying to do is just live as well as possible for as long as possible, and then hope for that quick decline. And yeah, and like movement, be fully yeah. alive until you're totally. not. <laughs> right. And so she wrote an amazing book called Optimistic Aging. But what we really understood was that we needed to create an education that optimized the body. 
If we know that sitting on your butt for more than 12 to 20 minutes at a time decreases brain activity, then we're not optimizing our ability to teach children. And we have so almost decapitated our bodies in an educational perspective. And so GALS was about how do we take things that may used to be a nuisance, like movement in a classroom or talking even or expressions, right? Yes. How do we use that to optimize learning? Because in today's world, that's what education is about. And so GALS was more about creating a model for education for all than it was saying, here's how to run a school. So here's what I'm wondering is that what is a day in the life of a girl at GALS like? Beyond the obvious that it's a single gender school, which we're going to talk about, what is a day in the life? I mean, how is this different than walking I'm sure that it's changed. And I want to be clear that the network is set up so that GALS Denver is its own 501c3, GALS Las Vegas is its own 501c3, same with Los Angeles, and they're tied together through governance agreements as a network. And so each place is different because each place has different populations and are different stages of their growth. But the main assumptions are twofold. One is that movement boosts cognitive achievement. So what are the places that we input movement in order to optimize learning? And then the second piece is social emotional learning and identity development Mm -hmm. is critical to the experience. It boosts learning and love. And it's based on inclusion, that everyone has the right to express who they are and needs to develop who they are. Mm -hmm. And that changes every day and we need to respect that. But we have to teach people how to develop their identities. We have to teach people how to express themselves and what does a relationship look like when you create it, when you lose it, when you need to restore it. All of those things are skills which we need in the world. And we just assume people are getting They're going to pick it up. Right. And GALS is about creating sacred space and formal learning spaces for that to happen. So a typical day in the life of GALS assumes that there are not four core courses, there are five. So it's not just math, language arts, science, and social studies. There's also GALS. And we call it the GALS series. So that's the formal space in which people learn about relationships, learn about identity, learn about culture and leadership, learn about expression, learn about emotions, all of those things. We could go on and on about what they are, health, sexuality, all of those things are in there. And they go through it just like they would math. They start in sixth grade and they end in 12th grade. The second piece is movement. So there are three places in which a girl during the day will experience movement. One is we know that when kids grow up, they're not getting enough sleep and we know that we need to wake their brains up. So we know Mm -hmm. that if they move for 20 or more minutes at, I think it's 60 to 80%, it's been a while since I've done this kind of pitch, that they, at capacity of your body, your brain is going to be most supple to take information for like two and a half hours. And so that creates a rotating schedule at GALS. So when you ask about what a day looks like, on Monday, it might be one, two, three, four, five for your core classes. On Tuesday, two, three, four, five, one, when, you know, so it goes on like that. So movement is always first. In middle school, it's we have to teach you about all the different types of options and movements. You can start figuring out what works for you, right? It's like in sixth grade to eighth grade, I think in it's sixth grade to ninth grade or fifth grade to ninth grade in terms of age. Girls in general will grow and shift four to seven inches and up to 35 pounds. Like, just think of that as an adult, right? And so our job is to get them used to their gangly body by saying, how do we just get out there and move? So we're constantly learning to feel comfort in our physique 
which we know from studies of body image and health and eating disorders, is what is most combatant Mm -hmm. to that type of rabbit hole. And we know that being too heavy is the same thing as being too skinny, right? Mm. We've learned that over time. And so it's about health and wellness. And so it's about what makes me feel good. How do I prepare my body for a big test? So things like when the state test comes along, You'll find gals in total movement with mu- with music blaring beforehand, and kids will choose: Do I want to go to a yoga class? Do I want to run a mile? Do I want to just go play a basketball game? Like, so it's the idea of getting us so ready for ownership of our entire system. So that's the first piece. The second piece is that we know that sitting on our butts for that long isn't good for us. So how in the classroom do we take movement breaks? How do we take game breaks? And how do we, which is really the goal is how do we enhance learning through movement? Mm -hmm. So how do we use movement as pedagogy? It's much easier with kindergartners through fourth grade to be like, let's relay race and do our times tables. You know, we, but at gals, it gets up to level. Like we have the fraction dance, which became kind of like a mantra of the school for a while, built by Jen Green, who came in to teach sixth grade and everyone knows it. Top times top, bottom times bottom, doing that fraction thing. Uh. In classes, we had rain breaks. And during that time, we'd get like five or 10 minutes where we could go play outside or go to the gym and just like run around. This is Fiona Pines. She attended GALS for middle school. I think that that really helps kind of just like keep us engaged, which I know that sounds a little bit counterintuitive, but I think it's scientifically proven. I think just stepping away for a second and taking a break is a really great way to learn and for like real life so school practices that are great for real life isn't that really what we're going for the third piece really is for how does movement exist is the idea of strategies for social emotional and relationships how do we use somatic therapies for kids who really need more support so how do we create rooms in which we say you need to take a break take a break Mm-hmm. And we need to breathe together. Dance therapy are things that are about movement used as strategies for classroom engagement and especially for those who are having a hard time. Mm-hmm. When you ask a middle schooler why they're upset, chances are boy or girl, boy less because of the, the assumption that they shouldn't be expressing emotions mm-hmm. when they're becoming a man. But, you know, a girl will put her hands in her, her, her face and just be like, I don't know. And chances are they don't. Something's taken over my body. That's right. Mm -hmm. And so how do we teach ourselves to know ourselves, to do body scans, breathing movements where we understand, oh, I have that pit in my stomach as opposed to I'm crying, but also having a full scale support system that isn't about those who are in trouble, but the recognition that adolescence itself assumes we're all going through major transition. And some of our bodies and minds and hearts do transition better. Some of us keep it really quiet. Some of us make it really loud. Mm-hmm. It's the idea that none of those are better. It's about knowing that there are strategies there to just help me move through things. Yeah. And so that's the third place in which movement comes, which is in the assumption of somatic therapies, which is soma, which means comes from the body. So good. In Elizabeth's TED Talk, she quoted the 2010 UCLA social research conclusion that, quote, simply put, girls' schools teach girls that there is enormous power and potential in being a girl, end quote. I'm not unbiased on this issue. I went to a women's college, and my daughter is currently attending that same college. 
mainly because she's heard me talk her whole life about how the experience shaped me. There is a copious body of research documenting the disproportionately high number of women in leadership, in politics, in academia, corporate, and nonprofit leaders who attended women's schools and women's colleges. Here's what Fiona said. I guess, like, boys not being there, I think socially, it just really helped, like, minimize the pressure because I feel like there's already so much pressure in middle school when you're, like, growing and you don't really know who you are yet. Like, you haven't really figured out your values. I think it also was just a great way to connect with other girls without the sort of, like, cattiness that comes along with just, like, being in middle school. I asked Fiona the question that everyone always asked me about attending a women's college. Didn't you miss boys? Yeah, no, I did not miss boys at all. (laughs) It wasn't like I didn't have friends who are boys outside of school. Right. No one's knocking boys. I'm pretty sure Fiona and I are both big fans. And the founders of GALS also founded Denver Boys School to address the specific needs and best modalities for boys. But the research shows that male students have traditionally dominated the voice in classrooms, assumed student leadership roles, and that educators exhibit unconscious bias by calling more often on male students. When those spaces open up, girls and women step into them and they find their voices and their place. So what are some of the other benefits to single gender education? And is the leadership aspect almost a byproduct? It's just going to develop in a single gender situation. Those are really important baseline questions. So the first thing is making sure that we define gender, which I think is a new way of living in the world. So we shifted from single sex schools, which assumed biological organs, Mm -hmm. to single gender school, which assumed this is how I identify. Mm -hmm. And so now we've got a gender continuum. And so it is hard to, for a school that calls itself an all girls school, to battle with the fact that by definition, we are exclusionary. Right. And so I think that's still an issue we need to talk about. And if you look at all the colleges and, you know, the, from the seven sisters down to a place like gals, everyone is struggling with it. Mm-hmm. I think at gals really came to the conclusion that anyone who considers themselves a girl, whether you're transitioning to be a girl at whatever level you are, or you're not actually ever going to formally transition, but this is where you feel you belong, you are welcome. Because safety and security from a policy position is most important for children today. So Mm -hmm. that's important to recognize that gender itself is a study right now. Right. And so schools are not people who judge. Schools are people who accept and meet you where you're at in order to bring you to where you're going. The National Coalition of Girls Schools, I think, has the most comprehensive kind of listing of all of the research that's been done. And I think as a gender-based school, what we're saying is we want to make space for those who aren't automatically assumed powerful. That's all, all people who claim to be women based on whatever policy, you're in that world. And so we are saying there's a toolkit that has strategies that works for those who identify as women that allows for growth and development in areas where we need to allow for growth and development that maybe beforehand weren't given enough space. And that includes identity, 
It's a sacred space in which you are allowed to risk and fail. And all of this should exist in any school. Mm -hmm. But we know from history that boys and girls together, based on who they are and what their upbringing is, does not allow for the same opportunities of power and voice. For anyone who's been a teacher, what are the things that can create an optimal learning space? The more diversity in your class you have, the more you have to differentiate, the less you can focus on A, B, and C. And so we're taking away gender. We're saying we automatically know that there are strategies that work 80% of the time, Mm -hmm. you know, with those who identify as women. And we know from statistics that girls feel more safe to express themselves. They feel more safe to take risks. And certainly in an embodied environment, where have you been, unless it's an elite training center, where a girl is willing to do push-ups, she's willing to run, she's willing to sweat, she's willing to try to expand her circle of comfort in a physical way when boys and girls are in the same place. Yep. And so for us, if we're trying to optimize a school model that is based on embodiment, Mm -hmm. you have to separate genders. Yeah. They, They spend all day with their hair not looking good. It's a funny experience, whether it's teachers or kids or parents. You know, you're going to school in sweats or whatever. It's not about being sloppy. It's about feeling free right? at a point in time when we know expression needs to blossom. Yeah. And so we know that exists for girls earlier than it exists for boys. Our school systems make no account for that. So let's just start there. So that's mm-hmm. the gender piece, which ties to leadership. I think one of the best quotes I've had from a number of young women who didn't stay for gals high school, but went through the middle school and then went to a regular high school. I wouldn't have asked for help. I wouldn't have self-advocated with a teacher had I not understood that I have the right to, right? Mm -hmm. Or that I should. I just simply should because I need it, right? I can express my needs, Mm -hmm. right? We have a, a pledge that we use at gals that came from an amazing curriculum, you know, back in the day called Full of Ourselves. I know who I am. I know that I matter. I know what matters to me. I make good choices and decisions that are good for me. I take good care of my body. I stand up for what I believe in. I let people know what I think. I take responsibility for my actions and myself. I see the loving nature in others and myself. I listen with my heart and mind. I know that I can make a positive difference in the world in my own unique way. I mean, just just the power of saying that mantra right. every day. That's right. Because we create our thoughts, right? right? And then our thoughts create our emotions, and our emotions create our behavior, right. and our behavior creates our reality. So giving them that mantra. Right. And we know in a big school, there are no mantras. We know no. in a big school, there's no time for personalization. Mm-hmm. So this is about how do we pay attention to who the student is with a set of guardrails of why and how we ask those essential questions. Yeah. This is Brianne Leeming, the founder of Unruly Studios, and we are the unruliest sponsor of this episode of the Ed Curation Podcast. I'm on a mission to bring active, engaging coding to students all around the world. I built Splats because I saw an opportunity to combine coding and active play in a way that felt fun, inclusive, and collaborative for students and educators engaging in STEM learning. Break the rules and think unruly. In our conversation, Liz mentioned a series of brain rules books by scientist and author John Medina. His second rule is that movement boosts cognitive achievement. Our sponsor today provides a solution for incorporating both movement and STEM into pretty much any content area, adaptable to any space and schedule. You can find Unruly Studios and check out their Unruly Splats 
integrated coding activities and resources at edcuration.com. Just click the connect to vendor button to learn more. And now back to Liz to learn more about the leadership component of the Girls Athletic Leadership School. So related to leadership, the issue is what are we trying to achieve by saying leadership? So we really said, if you know who you are and you know that you matter, if you know what matters to you, if you know how to be yourself in an embodied way so that you're healthy and you're saying, how do I use the strength of my body, both its gaps and its overt abilities to prepare myself for situations and decisions easy and hard, and I know I can ask for help, then you're a leader of your own person first. And therefore, everyone has the opportunity to be a leader. How you choose to apply that outside of your being is your choice. And that's applied leadership. My dad used to say when we were younger, we lived in the Delaware Water, Water Gap, Delaware Water Gap of New Jersey. And we would go across the bridge into Pennsylvania. And I remember being like, this toll taker is in the middle of nowhere wearing this uniform. He's just taking 50 cents, two quarters from everybody. And my dad used to say to me, why are you judging that person's choice? He would say, and if he's going to be a toll taker, he should be the best toll taker he can. He can. And that's the attitude from which I created an assumption of leadership. Our job is to graduate people, whether through middle school and high school, who have the understanding, certainly in high school, of self-sufficiency and self-possession. I know who I am. I know that I matter. Is there a success story that stands out in your mind, a particular student? I have two success stories. I would say one is where two girls became best friends from very disparate backgrounds and just enhanced each other's lives through their friendship. Mm -hmm. They would have never met each other a different way. Another success story, a family of four girls, all all who went through gals, the oldest really bright, but also dealing with lots of insecurities about where she's coming from and what she should, what she has the right to ask for. She was a DACA student, making sure she got through her DACA processes, seeing her through to getting into UC Denver, superbly capable. And then the choice that she has made, you know, having to figure out what is financially feasible for her and what her goals are and, and recognizing the pain of what wasn't accessible to her because of her background, but the resilience and the dedication and the growth around getting a boyfriend or the growth around her friends or other friends going off to big schools and then her just having to figure it out. Just that relationship that I have with her over time is a real success story for me. I also, the success story of Nina and I building the school, two women of completely different generations, just saying, we believe in something and we're going to put everything we have on the line. And I really believe that we push the edge on this conversation. And while the schools are still going on and there's an organization, you know, whether it's the Chan Zuckerberg Institute or Pahara or New Schools Venture Fund, we were constantly pushing the edge. So I think that for what I wanted to do in terms of change or trajectory for the issues of equity, I think we, we raised lots of questions within the world of education. We got recognized for a lot and we will continue to get recognized. I just saw that the National Coalition of Girls Schools highlighted Carrie Wagner, who took over as the CEO of Gals Inc., Jennifer McCloskey in Las Vegas, working with a 100% poverty population, which a distinct percentage are homeless. We are part of a system of gender equity, which is where my heart lives. And so I think my job was to push us there and to let the experts continue to move forward on actual pedagogy and actual curriculum. 
So that I, I want to ask you about actual pedagogy and curriculum sure. because at Ed Curation, we're all about finding new, innovative, effective resources and simplifying the process of getting those into classrooms. And I'm curious how you went through the process of deciding what curriculum would be used, what would be included in a girl's day at GALS, what, you know, what are the essential components of what we want these girls to be learning and how you created that. And I know you created some of it from scratch, but you also pulled from a lot of places. Yeah, I think our biggest partners in that were originally the Full of Ourselves curriculum, as well as Rachel Simmons and her Girl Meets World curriculum, and the Girls Leadership Organization that trains people to work with girls. At that time, it was outside of school, and now they're trying to shift to more inside of school, schools and teachers. But it was really about a self-education process of really great founding teachers and Nina, what are the essential questions? And to my knowledge, a lot of those essential questions were, what are the strategies that we know work for girls as you apply curriculum? And one of those strategies was making sure that you're using real world examples. In the original research done by UCLA, relevancy was always an issue. So in say expeditionary, expeditionary learning terms, what is your expedition? You know, what's the essential question of the expedition? It would be, how do we, how do we solve hunger? Right? Because Mm -hmm. there's an an assumption that girls relate more to things that they can see, feel, or could affect people they know. And so relevancy is an issue for everybody. Do you feel like we've gone, the pendulum has swung a little bit too far out in one direction in terms of our understanding of equity? Because for a while, there was this movement to merge all activities and all opportunities for both genders Mm -hmm. or all genders. Yeah. Right. We've got to let girls into the Boy Scouts. We've got to open up girls' schools to boys and and to merge everything. And that was almost a misunderstanding of equity and the ways that that we learn and things, systems that can serve us, because you're talking about equity now in terms of single gender. And so what would you say to somebody who challenges the assumption that starting an all-girls school is actually a move against equity? Sure. In 1996, George W. Bush wrote the law for charter schools. And when he did, he allowed for single gender schools to exist in public schools. I don't think over time that it was ever about merging girls and boys. I think it was about equality versus equity. So gender-based schools, by definition, exclude people. But in the education world, what it's doing, again, is just relieving the complication of certain schools. We have schools that for kids who want to learn technology. We have schools for kids who want to focus on the arts. We have This is a school where this pedagogy is used. Mm -hmm. These assumptions are made about our graduates. And these are the people that we want to include. It's our job to make sure that opportunity also exists for the others. Right. I think our work is really about equity and inclusion right now. Yeah. Every corporation, every business, every piece of curriculum, like, does this work for everybody? Is this really our history? How do we put in the different perspectives into a conversation? How do we teach our teachers to own diversity and inclusion? Mm -hmm. And do we, do we as humans, were any of us at our age anyway, really brought up to feel belonging? Do we even know what that really feels like? I don't know. I mean, do you ever feel nostalgic? Like, oh gosh, if I had had this growing up. I do. I feel 
I feel after watching the experience of students and families at GALS, I feel what it was like to grow up in a world where there were only four people in my, four girls in my advanced math classes. Just the, the differences in assumptions and lives, but mostly that the teachers weren't taught to create relationships with us. I think that teachers today, if one thing is certain, I think they love their students in a very different way than teachers used to love their students. And that to me is the hope. This topic of hope took us off in a discussion of books and female leadership, which was rich and maybe deserves its own episode, but I'll try to nutshell it. First, Abby Wambach's book, Wolfpack, is based on her commencement address to the graduates of Barnard College, meaning the next generation of teachers. One of the ideas she unpacks is the scarcity mentality that puts women in competition with each other. For example, if there's only one seat at the table for a woman, then all of these other women next to me are my adversaries, and I need to conquer them. Whereas if we operate as a pack, thus the title, Wolfpack, if we're for each other, supporting each other's strengths, we can take over the table or build a bigger table or pull up more chairs. We can change the rules and expectations of the whole seat at the table system. And then we discussed Elizabeth Lesser's book, Cassandra Speaks, where she documents the biochemical research from the 1930s around our body's fight or flight response to crisis and threat. It turns out that that research was done on men because women weren't considered viable test subjects in the 1930s. But we later discovered that women's bodies don't have the same biochemical response to crisis. Women look around for who needs protection, and they start to shield and gather. These very different responses to crisis represent two very different styles of leadership. Liz and I agreed that one style is incomplete without the other. There are circumstances where a fight or flight serves well. But there are other circumstances, like the one we're in right now in a worldwide pandemic, where gathering, organizing, and protecting are the more helpful responses. It's interesting to note, and this is abundantly documented in the media, that female-led countries have had by far the most effective responses to the COVID-19 crisis. What can we learn from that? I think there's room for everybody you need a different set of assumptions. Mm -hmm. I don't think either one is more prone to a, a woman's style or a man's style. I think women, and again, in this conversation, from this perspective, again, mostly white women who have worked really hard for their space at the table mm -hmm. have been mostly influenced by a scarcity mentality. Yeah, I think what gals tries to do, and all schools should try to do, is create opportunities to experience different styles of leadership in order for us to understand what works and why. And that's where inclusion comes in. Audrey Lord, who said, There's, there are new, new ideas. There are just new mm. ways of living them and feeling them and, mm. and implementing. And so it's this idea of what do we need and what type of leadership is needed? And I think men and women can provide both types of leaderships. You just have to be savvy and decide that your goal is to achieve your goal, not to be the leader. I just think it's about what do you need to get the job done? And what are you going to do at that moment in time to ensure that people feel included, which means they know what's happening and they've subscribed to it and agreed to that. Yeah. In general, that's not a man's style because he hasn't been taught that. Yeah. He hasn't seen it work, right? Mm -hmm. A woman, that's all she knows. Yeah. Right? Because she wants to protect her own. Well, she wants, and she knows that she thrives when the sisterhood is with her. 
right? Men don't have any experience in thriving when the brotherhood is with them, except men of color who have a very different, right? So we have things to learn from all those people who've been othered. And until we create systems of education where all those options are made available to us, we don't know who we are. Hmm. We only know who we were told to be. I asked Fiona about her favorite part of gals. It's a little bit like capture the flag. And it's called Mighty Mighty Scoop Noodle Challenge. <laughs> oh, that's so fun. And it's kind of like a gals like trademark game. Everyone plays it. I play it. My sister who's in seventh grade played it. Or I played it and now she plays it. We just like start every year and ev- end every year with that game. So, movement, community, and tradition. As for Elizabeth Wolfson, she continues to advise Gals Inc. and to provide executive coaching around issues of equity and embodied leadership. I feel such a freedom to say what I think, a freedom to really uplift and support those who are continuing to move Gals forward, but to really model to learn and grow and shift. And so that's what I'm doing or that's what I'm looking for. And we'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. But we'll look forward to following your next steps and your next adventure. You can find Elizabeth Wolfson on LinkedIn and you can find all the episode notes on Podbean. If you've been inspired to integrate more movement into content learning along with STEM, then break some rules with today's sponsor, Unruly Studios. Technology integration specialist from Genoa area local schools, Christine Danhoff, said, The biggest takeaway I've had so far is seeing how excited and engaged students are in the lessons and activities. You can learn more about Unruly Studios at Ed Curation. Simply click the Connect to Vendor button to learn more about incorporating STEM and active play at your school. And while you're there, be sure to check out our Certified Ed Trustees program and our Explorations Micro-Professional Learning for Educators. They're all free, along with our Marketplace, where you'll find every instructional resource you've ever imagined and many more that you haven't imagined. But someone did, and it's waiting here to liven up learning for you and your students. Thanks for joining us. Please like, share, leave us a comment, and tune in again next week to reshape learning with the Ed Curation Podcast.